To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And helping you start, finish and publishing your book is our sponsor, Pro Writing Aid, who are the official editing software of the Bestseller Experiment. We love Pro Writing Aid. It's much, much more than just a grammar check. You probably know little grammar checks out there, but this is way beyond that. It's a style editor and a writing mentor all in one package. And what's more, Pro Writing Aid integrates with Scrivener, which is one of our favorite bits of software, as you all know, if you've listened to this show for nearly three years now. And also things like Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, Outlook. So it's designed for the smarter writer, which is all of you folks. Um, so if you listen to this show, which you obviously do because you're here right now, you can get a whopping 20% off right now. So get your discount at prowritingaid.com forward slash bestseller. And I'm using I'm using ProWritingAid for everything, Mark. I'm using it on emails. I'm using it on proposals and book writing. It's fantastic. Yeah, me too. I've um, I've uh, I'm writing an article for a magazine, and the first thing I'm going to do before I send it off, put it through ProWritingAid. Just find all those little words, all those little errors, all those little things, because especially with a magazine, the copy editors on magazines are really sharp. They they notice everything. Yes. And this is the first time I'm submitting to this mag, so I want to make a good impression. So I'm getting in there. We had a lovely tweet. I was shouting about ProWritingAid on Twitter, and we had a lovely reply from Jack Logan, at Jack Logan Author. He says, I've been using ProWritingAid for well over a year, and that's since uh, our friend Joe Ho mentioned it in episode 27. He said, it's bloody brilliant i forgot joe used it yeah. joe ho uses it as well and she's a major best-selling author funnily enough i was just chatting to her just the other day so uh yeah we, we apparently we've been banging on about it for a while <laughs> <laughs> absolutely brilliant stuff and how's your week been mr stay probably not as disastrous as mine <laughs> well <laughs> shall we tell the listeners what happened just before the recording yeah. so <laughs> let, let me tell you we've decided just to run with this rather than me ranting about it before we got on 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 the on the microphones as it were so you know how in when you write books you're always looking for like knock-on effects for things there's <laughs> things that happen to your character little things that then kind of start a knock-on effect that magnify and magnify until something major happens well here i am with a bit of a a bit of a little sore throat like you know us 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 brits and north americans get this time of year if you're listening in australia by the way we're not jealous that you're coming into summer right now but anyway i decided with this little scratchy throat i better go get myself a big glass of water and what do you <laughs> what do i never do mark what do i never do when i get a big glass of water is put it in a pint glass and sit it on my desk i always 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 put it in screw top right yeah and I, and you know, I, even as I poured that water, I thought, I better not bloody knock this over. <laughs> <laughs> and within f- literally one minute of walking into my studio, I put the thing down. I, I, I adjust my screen because I see you're on the other end waiting for me to pick up on Skype. And I knock this entire pint of water. And this, honestly, it was like Niagara Falls all over my computer. 
And I thought, and, and now the irony is, I, because we started recording, can you see this? Pete, you won't see this, listeners, but this is how much water I've actually got left <laughs> in my pint glass to get, me, to get me through the next hour. So do excuse me if that's I gonna, that, and, That's uh, going to evaporate before the show is out. I'm on rations, aren't I? I've got like, you know what it's, you know, everyone knows what I'm talking about. When you knock over glass of water, it's like the evilest thing, but you get, get this ton of like, you know, a finger's worth left at the bottom. So anyway, uh, that was my start to this morning. Apart from that, everything's amazing. Well, that's an expensive i've i've spilt water on my laptop the laptop i'm using now and i tell you what man that's an expensive mistake to make you know you've got all that equipment around you there so you're lucky you well know, i have so. it was dropping up yeah it went on my speakers so tip for anyone listening to this if you for some <laughs> crazy reason like me have open glass cups of anything on your writing desk where you, don't do it because one day we all live long enough for it all to happen to us. It's like a hard disk crash, right? One day it will happen. So nice bit of lid on the old uh, on the old glass, I think. My goodness me. Never mind. Hey, 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 do you want to hear a bit of great news? Do you want to hear a bit of fantastic news about one of our listeners, one of our listeners, one of our Patreon supporters as well? Oh, and thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We could not do the show without you, and they've supported us through thick and thin. So thanks to our latest ones, Tim Adler and A.R. Vincent. Welcome to both of you. Now, one of our great uh, Patreon supporters is Lorna Cook, who, of course, had a fantastic bestseller over the summer with The Forgotten Vintage. Well, well, brace yourself. She won the Joan Hassan Award for New Writers, uh, which is a big award that the RNA do uh, every every autumn. Uh, when I was there last year, they, they had a winner. This year, we have yet another award winner on the Patreon Roll of Honour. How about that? Wow, that is unbelievable. Congratulations, Lorna. It just, talk about knock-on effects. I mean, she had that incredible... Um, best-selling number one on Amazon, didn't she? The Forgotten Village mm. that yeah. has passed easily passed now over a hundred thousand copies of a debut novel. Um, but then winning that award is just an incredible um, addition to everything that's happened. I know, I know, Lorna's pinching herself. I mean, she talks about it all the time on the BXP team that she can't actually believe what's happened. But this is what happens when people put their focus on a dream. It's what we've been talking about in the podcast for now nearly three years. You, you, you create a dream. You might not know the how. But you just keep hold of that dream and things happen. So, I mean, unbelievable. We always say about how much of an inspiration people like Lorna are to everyone else on this show. And um, this is just more evidence of what an incredible career she's got ahead of her. Hey, 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 do you want some more good news? Do you want some more good news? I do. Go on, keep piling up. This is good. This is inversely proportional (laughs) to the amount of water I've lost. This is great. (laughs) Guess what's finally available on Audible. Guess, guess, guess what's available finally on Audible. Guess, guess, guess. Go on. Back to Reality is finally available on Audible. No thanks to Audible. Wow. <laughs> we, have, we have an audio book. We were slightly too quick off the mark with our episode about our audio book a few weeks ago. So if you heard that and you are desperate to get hold of your copy, you don't have to be desperate any longer because it is on Audible. You can get it on Amazon can't you? If you go to Back to Reality and search for that on Amazon. Where else can you get it? Is it iTunes? iTunes, well? iTunes as well, yeah. So it's uh, iTunes, it's this weird deal that Apple did with Amazon years and years and years ago. And we're no one's sure how long it, they signed it for. So it's this weird <laughs> deal between these two giants staring at each other, gritted teeth over this chessboard. Sounds like the... <laughs> It sounds like Disney and Netflix. You've yeah. heard of Disney are removing all of their stuff off Netflix. Yeah. They're st- yeah, it's yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, though, Mark, I was listening to the audiobook the other day and 
I, I absolutely love it. It's like an out of body experience. Is, you experience it? that. It's like, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't feel like you, we've actually wrote that book, but hearing in someone else's voice, it's completely different. Well, Kim, Kim is amazing. And when you listen to it, 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 there are, she brings out so much in it, the emotion, the humor, the pace. Um, she's just fantastic. And, and the, the accents as well. Her oh, scouser is absolutely great. brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's just terrific. We, it's, you know what, do you know what I feel? I mean, I've never been a massive audiobook listener because I love, I love to read and I love, love to listen to podcasts. Ironically. That's what I probably do most in the car when I'm driving. But what I absolutely love about an audiobook is it, it's as different to the book as a movie is to a book, I think. Mm. Um, hearing it in someone else, it's like, it's, like, it's like writing a piece of music, but hearing an orchestra playing it. Mm. That's how I compare it to you. So mm. I recommend to everyone, if you've not got this on your bucket list, if you've not even started your novel yet, add on, get an audiobook of my, of my book. And if you're thinking of doing it, don't think, do it, because it's one of the most incredible things. And I think that it can actually kickstart and fire up a book as well. It, it feeds both ways, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. It- I mean, you listen to it and you think it's it's almost like another kind of validation where someone else has read it and you think, oh, actually, you know, this is this is good, this is fun, and it kind of think you remind yourself, yeah, this isn't bad, you know, I'm gonna get, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna write some more good stuff today. But what's interesting, since we've put it out there, I've been hearing back from some people on social media and some some of our, our BXP team where they've been published by a publisher. And the audiobook's been put out, but they haven't had the opportunity to listen back to it. Now, Back to Reality is just over 10 hours long, which is about average for uh, an audiobook. And I listened back to it and I made notes. And Kim was brilliant, but there's just one or two things I said, oh, are you, you know, you might have missed a word or can you change that? And she was fantastic. She'd do it the same day and, you know, just, just really, really good. Yeah. Uh, and with the best will in the world, someone's going to do that. And I was able to do that with Robot Overlords, listen back to it. And, you know, and if there were changes, they were made. Um, but I'm hearing about a lot of authors going through mainly traditional publishers where they're not getting that opportunity. And that does concern wow. me because you wouldn't put a book out without doing the final page proofread, would you, you know? And and who better, who better in this case to to listen to the audio than the actual author? I mean, it's different when you've got an editor, who better to edit a book than an editor, but an audio book, who better to go through the final kind of check than the person that wrote the book? Absolutely. And and the thing is, there's such a great process with, with Kim where, you know, I sent her a list of characters. I sent her little bits of direction, if you like, about accents or, or what kind of person they were. And she took all that on board. And with the rest, the other accents, I said, just, you know, go for it which she did and she was brilliant yeah and if you don't get the opportunity particularly you know if you're working in a a genre or or maybe it's set in another country or there are place names that have um you know particular meaning or pronunciation then you need to have the opportunity to say uh can i just send you a little list of things and i'm hearing that authors aren't getting that and that's slightly concerning for me and i think if you're an author you're with a publisher don't overlook the audio folks make sure you get that opportunity to have your say. Well, that's something that we should probably talk about later mm. on um, in, a, in another show where we talk about, the, you know, when authors sign a deal, what rights they have. And it's at the time when you sign the deal, you have to know of these things. You have to know to be able to put in a clause to say, I would like to have, you know, the final check through. Um, because you can legally put that stuff in contracts if you've, if you've gotten the negotiation power within, a, within an opportunity. So, but who would know? I mean, obviously, who would know to do that if, unless they've been through the process, which is why we're telling you now mm. that it's something that you should consider. Um, and yeah, this is a big thing because audiobooks um, are only getting bigger 
and bigger and bigger. They are going to be a huge part of your mix, if you like, as an author. They're also going to be a huge part of your revenue as well, because, um, you know, like movies, they're, they're, they're a whole additional stream. And they also help bring people to the book. I mean, it works both ways. So definitely something that, that we need to pay much, much more attention to as writers. I am, um, funny enough, I, I was at a writing group with Catherine May, who was previously on uh, on the live show that we did at her, her at, um her books and she had her own episode uh, back in the day and she said that her non-fiction book the electricity of every living thing is being done as a, a getting a sort of a dramatization by audible which is a new one on me right. which is yes. fantastic so. i've heard about that there's also something they're doing with podcasts as well so it's all starting to merge can you imagine mark can you imagine this 220 plus episodes dramatized <laughs> As an audible book of the bestseller experiment, right? With it, could, we, should we put a call out for narrators? Who would play you in the drama? Yeah. Who would play Q, you? Formal orderly queue. <laughs> formal orderly queue at the BXP team offices, folks. Who would play? If you'd like to narrate, ah, well, we'd have to have as himself, surely, wouldn't we? <laughs> Jay Brian Hill, Blessed! Brian My, Blessed! <laughs> Brian Blessed! Oh, Brian Blessed! 50,000 words! 50, Gordon's <laughs> alive! <laughs> We're sorry to anyone that hasn't followed this podcast all the way through, but do go back and listen to the Ben Aronovich episode. It was voted our <laughs> the favourite episode of all time at the end of our first season. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. But Brian, Brian, if you're listening to this show, yes, you're in, I'm afraid. Everyone else will have to take I'll put, a, I'll put a link in the show um, notes to that episode. It's still a classic. <laughs> still a classic. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. Now, let's, let's, we're going to dive into social media later on after our amazing interview that we've got for you this week. Um, but we've got another bestseller, Mark, haven't we? We've got somebody who um, it, people are going to love this because we know that most people listening to the show are indie authors, mm. obviously, because of the way things weigh up in the world. There's going to be more indie authors than traditionally published, but also people that are looking to go into indie. There's also people who are considering, should I go into indie? Should I go into traditionally published? And actually, we ran a survey last week um, on our Facebook page. If you haven't done it, pop along to Facebook, um, go to Bestseller XP on Facebook and fill out our listener survey because we're curious to find out what, where you're at. Are you starting a book, finishing a book, finishing your 10th book? You know, there's, there's all kinds of different things, but it's really interesting to see the mix of people. And I think it's very important. Today's interview is very important because it reaches out to everyone who's looking at doing it for themselves. It's the indie author. Um, but, but. Our, our guest this week, Keith A. Pearson, has the most incredible story, doesn't it? It really is amazing. I mean, it's um, he's the best-selling author of a book called The 86 Fix. Uh, also, Who Sent Clement, Tuned Out, the forthcoming Kenneth. He's sold over 100,000 books, which is fantastic. Now, bear in mind, he published the first book, 86 Fix, on October 15th, 2016. Two days later the bestseller experiment podcast launched. So, so there's this <laughs> parallel universe where Keith's presenting this and he sold over a hundred thousand copies and we're listening to it going, wow, we could be like Keith. Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. If we hadn't done this podcast, we would have written more books. Yes. We? <laughs> so, right. <laughs> no question. So Absolutely. I spoke to Keith at the Royal Festival Hall in London a few weeks ago, where we spoke, I spoke to Queeve McDonnell a few weeks before that as well. It's becoming a nice little venue, which explains some of the background noise that you'll hear. Um, his first book out 
came out as part of a drunken bet, a New Year's resolution, a tick on the bucket list. And he's someone who admits that he didn't have the first bloody clue what he was doing. This is such a fun interview. So uh, shall we jump in and listen to... I think we should. Absolutely. So this is Mark interviewing Keith A. Pearson. Keith, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today, sir? I'm very well here in sunny London. It is sunny, isn't it? It's um, it's been up and down. Terrible storms for tomorrow, um, but yeah, we're uh, we're in a nice quiet corner of the Royal Festival Hall. We've done a few interviews here. This has become a bit of a nook for us. Um, but you've got a new book coming out quite soon, uh, Kenneth. But you've forged this incredible career, self-publishing amazing books that that are getting the most amazing reviews you've got this incredibly slick website i'd like to talk about your path to publication and you've taken quite an unconventional route haven't you yeah very unconventional on the basis it was none of it was planned my first book was a drunken bet new strong new year's resolution i sat down one day to write a book i hadn't written anything since school so a long time ago and i knew nothing of I did no research at all. So if anyone's listening and thinking, oh, this is the way to go, I mean, it's the wor- <laughs> if you can imagine the worst way to prep to write a book, I, I did it. I didn't bother learning any other craft. Uh, I knew nothing of story arcs, character development, plotting, none of it. I sat down and I said, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to write a thousand words a day and I'm going to do that for three, four months. I'll have a book. And that, that was my thinking. So utter madness. And somehow... Um, I won that bet. I got those those words out and, and a book of all. You set yourself a target, though. Yeah, it, it was. I'm I'm quite a methodical person, and my thinking was, you know, if you think about writing a book, it's, it's such a daunting prospect. But I guess it's like running a marathon. Uh, I've never run a marathon, but I would imagine if you stand at that start line and think, "Well, I'm going to run 26 miles." Uh, you know, psychologically, that's not a good place to be. So I thought, well, if I can just write a thousand words a day. And as it happened, um, I had a sort of fairly quiet week one week in March. When was this? March 2016. Right. And that's when I started. And I wrote the first chapter. And I thought, actually, do you know what? That it, it was vaguely funny. I had no, literally no idea where it was going to go. I knew three things. I knew I wanted to write a, tri- a time travel novel because that was a genre I was interested in. I knew that I wanted to write something that my friends would love and that they would find funny. And the third thing is, I thought, actually, do you know what, once I've done this, it's just a tick on a bucket list. That That's it. So really, those were the only three things I knew when I sat down to write those first words. What you've done there is you've identified an audience, yeah. your friends, you've identified a very clear genre, and you've, you've set yourself a target. I mean, for a lot of authors, that's, that's more than most of them do. Well, I think with, with uh, obviously I have a marketing background. It's what I've done most of my career. And knowing who you're writing for, and I think this, this, is, this is one of my wonderful marketing cliches, but if you try and write a book for everyone, it's going to be relevant to no one. And I think right at the very beginning, knowing that I was writing for a very, very specific audience. And again, when you're writing in you know, popular uh, genres like time travel, it's very easy to sort of say, okay, I want my book to appeal to everyone who loves time travel. Mm. And therefore, what you're doing is you're creating a, a book that's sort of, it's, it loses, I, I wrote specifically knowing that I would alienate any, anyone outside of the UK, anyone under the age of 40. And that was a deliberate decision because ultimately I wanted a book that my friends would love, not just like, but, but love. And that comes at a price. 
But although I didn't realize it at the time, that one decision, I guess, is what made that first book so successful. What did you know about publishing? I mean, you, you've, did you send it out to agents and publishers <laughs> or did you jump straight to self-publishing? Okay, I chuckled there because, again, I, I, I cannot emphasize enough how little I did in terms <laughs> of preparation. So that I, I finished the book. I edited it in Word. That was as far as the editing went. I used a spell check and thought, oh, that'll do. That seems fairly clean to me. And I knocked up a cover. I do have some graphical design experience, so I was stressed, but I did knock up a cover in less than an hour. And I sent it off. I went through Google, and I, I, I think I Googled publishing houses. I went on the first dozen websites, went on the contact page, grabbed an email address, sent off the manuscript, not professionally edited. I didn't know. I just said, hey, here's my book. Uh, if you're interested, can you let me know in a couple of weeks? <laughs> I mean, it was just spectacularly naive. Um, surprisingly, I actually got, I think I sent off about a dozen, and then I got bored. And then I think two weeks, within two weeks, I'd had a couple come back and say, uh, amazingly, they said, no, can you believe that? <laughs> Shocker. I know, <laughs> because there were four typos on the, uh, on the first page alone, uh, as I discovered later so I thought well, okay well you know I gave it a stab and I'm not naive enough to think you know if, if two have said no then the chances are that the rest of the same so I thought I'm going to just bung it up onto, onto Amazon so I did that and again not really knowing what I'm doing I had to you know doing everything on the fly you know for the formatting um which is a royal pain the cover again, I, you know, I did a few tweaks to that and then up it went and that was it. And I you know, called in my bet and um, got on with my life. No expectations. Did, I thought that, that was it. And then something strange happened within about a week. I, I remember distinctly the first review coming in and it was five stars and it was, it was glowing. And to think, oh my God, a complete stranger has actually read this trash, <laughs> this unedited trash, and enjoyed it. Actually, they paid for it, which I thought was incredible. But to actually have enjoyed it and then gone to the trouble of leaving a review was, was amazing. And then the sales started to just trickle in with you know two or three a day, tiny numbers. And then slowly, over about three or four weeks, by the third or fourth week, the numbers were starting to get into double figures every day. And the reviews hit double figures, and they were all coming in at five stars. That was the point I thought, oh, something, maybe I've stumbled across something here. And you weren't doing anything to, to push that? Absolutely no marketing whatsoever, because I, I had no aspirations to be an author. Everything that happened happened completely organically. You know, every listener is grinding their teeth at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I say that. I, okay, I say I did nothing because I think, the, and this is, is fairly key, because I think I did all my marketing before I even sat down to write that first word. Right. Tell us about that. Okay, so I have this, I, I love analogies. So uh, I've created this analogy just for you guys. And it's the, the, the we're going to call it the bakery analogy. And we're going to talk about Victoria sponge cakes in particular. So if you walk into a supermarket, you may find, and you go to the bakery aisle, you will find probably four or five different types of Victoria sponge. I'm no baking expert, but I would guess that the constituent ingredients of your average Victoria sponge are fairly similar if not identical. So if you're looking at five Victoria sponges on, on a shelf, what's going to influence your decision? Most people, it's one of two things. Firstly, price. If you're buying your Victoria sponge for people you don't really like, you're just going to go price, get the cheapest 
crap you can find. Now, if you see a brand you recognize, Mr. Kipling or whatever it may be, you're going to be sort of drawn towards that. And I think that analogy works in the book world as well. Because if you go, if, if you swap your Victoria Sponge for your genre, people will always gravitate towards the brands they know, so the, the names that they know. Otherwise, you're fighting on price. So that was key. So what, what I thought is actually, I have created my Victoria Sponge, but what I have done is I've, rather than buttercream in the middle, I've put peanut butter. Now, probably only one in five people like peanut butter, but my Victoria Sponge is very different from anyone else's. And the people that love peanut butter tend to love it in other stuff. So I'd alienated anyone who didn't like it. Fair enough. You know, that's the risk you'd take. But I would rather, accidentally, to a degree, I had sort of struck this, this seam of people who loved Victoria Sponge with peanut butter. Um, and it was only then afterwards I started analysing who was buying the book and then I did a fo- I knocked up a follow-up again fairly slapdash it must be said I think it took me nine weeks from start to finish um, I had to write a follow-up because again going back to the original book it, <laughs> it was every writing rule I broke so the first I don't know 30% of it was back matter so I dove straight in there it ended on a cliffhanger with no follow-up book so you can imagine yeah the death threats came in fairly quickly um and i had so once these reviews started to sort of roll in i was also getting emails from people saying well you know what what happens what happens well i'm thought okay i'm going to write a follow-up because there seems to be some demand again not thinking that this was going to lead to anything but um i created this nine weeks and it was just shy of a hundred thousand words so that gives people an idea how quickly I knocked this thing up. And I, I did get uh, an editor in the end, and she very kindly sorted out the first book, and she did the second book for me. So by February 2017, I had two books, and both of them were starting to... I mean, the, the first one, The 86 Fix, got, a, got the orange tag in time travel, which was just mind-blowing. And then the, the follow-up, which was called Beyond Broadhall, that also started to get it. You know, plenty of reviews coming in, plenty of sales. And I think then by probably March 2017, I thought, I've got a decision to make here. There's an opportunity. So then I thought, okay, and now I've created a book. I've created this Victoria Sponge with the peanut butter center. I need to come up with something else. I need a different brand of cake. And this sort of touches on something that uh, Queeve McDonald said in uh, one of your previous podcasts. And he was talking about wandering into different genres and doing things differently not following conventional wisdom. So, ironically, um, Queeve and I follow a, a, our careers sort of follow a similar path in that I think his first book came out within a month of mine. Um, we have a re, you know, quite a lot of reader overlap. But he went into a genre which was, you know, everyone was doing something fairly similar. And then he came in, different covers, different tone. I wouldn't say whatever ingredient he used in his cake clearly works so i then went on thought okay what do i want to do next so i then went into another genre there seemed to be at the time a lot of these sort of lee child jack reacher clones i mean the the mysterious guy in black the silhouette on the cover i mean they were just everywhere so okay i i love jack reacher as a character not on film but certainly in the books so i thought okay what can i do with 
this. So I like the idea of this young know, mysterious guy wanders into town, this stranger, and sort of saves the day. I love that as a premise, but what can I do to um, add something different to it? So I came up with a character called Clement, who claimed he was he died in 1975, politically incorrect, a bit like sort of Gene Hunt in, if, I don't know if any of right, your yeah, listeners yeah. remember, uh, Life on Mars. A bit like him, but fairly big guy and again knowing what floated the reader's boat in the first two books allowed me to then go on and and use those similar ingredients but in a genre where really they weren't being used by anyone else and this big decision this you know the big change there is is you need to treat this as a professional you need to treat it as a as a as a job were you working at the time what was the big turning point for you well I, I was a web, mar- web marketing co- uh, consultant. I had my own you know, business doing that freelance, and I've been doing that for a decade, and very comfortable. Um, you know, I had a reasonable life that I would get up in the morning, stagger down to my office, do my work, and, and that was great. I was very happy with that. Kind of the life of a writer. <laughs> very much. Um, the difference is that the writer doesn't have to put up with irritating <laughs> clients. So... I, I think after 10 years, though, uh, and I'd always worked in industries where there was customer services, sales and marketing. And I think you get to a point in your life, you think, do you know what? I don't really want to be dealing with people anymore. <laughs> and I'd reached that point, I think. And it's, it's as though all the stars aligned. And I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a huge believer in fate, but it just seemed to be that here I was. Two, these two books had come out. They were popular. They were getting lots of reviews, lots of great feedback, lots of support from people. And my career, I was thinking, oh, I'm getting a bit weary of people calling me up and telling me they don't know how to set up their email or whatever it may have been. And I thought, okay, maybe I should just push this. So I had there was a sort of a period where I was wearing two hats. I then wrote the third book using my cake analogy again. It was, you know, I, I went into the sort of crime drama type genre, did something very, very different. And, and that, again, it, it worked incredibly well. And I think that once that one became a bestseller, once that one started to sort of sell and I was starting to get into sort of four figures income um, every month, I thought, okay, now clearly there's something to be done here. So I think I made the decision probably the middle of last year to, to sort of do this almost full time. I still do a few bits and pieces on the side, but it... It was ne- there was never any planning in going into it. it, it, it I've gone with the flow as, as my career has evolved. And, now, and I still wonder whether it's all going to come crashing down tomorrow. Okay, it comes out in the autumn. I'm hoping that that will continue on the same trend. But who knows? Maybe one day I've got the wrong ingredients. And uh... Well, this is, this is, don't worry, that every author has that fear. But I think as long as you're happy writing. The... Um, the marketing background. Yes. Uh, what are the marketing basics that an author needs to get right? Okay. Um, I see a lot of authors, they write their first book and then they drive themselves crackers just trying to push it and trying to come up with different ways of getting it out there. They're just constantly after sales. And the problem ultimately, if you've got one book where you're making, I don't know, 50, 60 pence royalty on each one there's not there's not a lot there so i I, this is the ultimate cliche but you've got to write more um you need more product the way i make money now is by 
Uh, I, I don't do any, I, I've had a couple of book bubs and I do a little bit of Amazon um, marketing services, but that's it. Uh, I don't do any Facebook ads. Um, I don't do anything else. Everything comes off that first, hooking that first reader. If you get them in and you have something that's a little bit different, then they're going to hang around and they're going to buy other product. But it is getting them into that, that ecosystem, if you like. It's like the sort of you know, how Apple work. You, know, you go and buy your iPhone, next thing you know, you're buying you know, a, an iPad and a three grand laptop. And I think that, that if you have one book, I would go back to the 86 fix as well. When I sat down to, and, and this is not what people necessarily want to hear, is if you write that book and you have so, People think, okay, I want to write a bestseller, so therefore I need to uh, go, I need to have uh, a broader audience as possible. And that, I think, is a mistake. I think you, the question, um, which may sort of have some conflict based on the name of the podcast and why we're here, but you know, the question is, isn't how do I write a, a bestseller? Is how do I write a bestseller for a particular group of people, my target audience? If you don't know who they are, if you don't know what floats their boat, if you don't know what makes them laugh, if you don't have your own little sort of recipe for that audience, then you're just another Victoria sponge on the shelf and you will sell either on brand or price. The brand is a, is a tough battle when there are so many great brands out there in every genre. So then you're sort of floating around trying to beat everyone on price. And that, that's, that's a tough, tough battle. Yeah, it's a sort of downward spiral, isn't no it? Margin. There are no margins. Yeah. If you're selling at 199 even 99 if you're at 99p, where can you go? Yeah. And what can you spend? There, there's nothing there. You spoke about getting people into your ecosystem. You're using your books to do that. So is there lots of end matter saying, sign up to my newsletter, come and find my website? No, there isn't. I have, I think, what I think is a good formula. And I look at what other authors do, and I do the opposite. Because the the whole right to market uh, ethos, and it may well work for some people, it doesn't, I don't don't want to do it. Um, It doesn't appeal to me one jot. And I think, actually because I don't do it that's perhaps why my books appeal because I'm not doing what everyone else is my covers don't fit with the genre that they're supposed to fit my blurbs are normally they're quite pithy Um, so this is where you end up with those those Victoria sponges lines and lines of them and I think if you're going to sit down and write your second book then you need to work out what you're going to do what ingredient you're going to add to this cake to make it different I don't know if I necessarily did it consciously, but whether it was by you know, uh, accident or otherwise, I got the ingredient. I happened to get the ingredient right. And I, I have to put my hands up and say there was a fair chunk of luck with that. I use humor and I use nostalgia. And because I, would, I knew I was writing for a distinctly British audience and I knew the age of that, that audience, it's so much easier to write. Whereas if you think, okay, I'm writing for a much broader audience, when you're dealing with time travel, I, nostalgia is the bit I think that really hooks people. Um, if, particularly if you're dealing with you know modern history, the 80s is a huge era. It's hugely popular, which is one reason I chose it, and it was the the era of my teenage years. Yeah. So I was really able to sort of throw my own uh, experiences into it. Now, if I'd have said, okay, I'm going to write this book and it's going to be time travel, but it's going to be for a broad audience. So I couldn't have included references to Chaz and Dave or Bungle from Rainbow. There's lots of things, little bits that 
give a, a reader a, a little thrill. Yeah. And I couldn't have included any of that because clearly, I mean, I've had Americans read the book and um, most of what I get from, is from feedback is, yeah, great book, but I didn't understand half of it. Who's Bungle? Yeah, exactly. Who, who's Bungle? Who the hell are Chaz? And I mean, there's lots of stuff in there. I mean, even the humour. And I think my humour is very British. I use humour a lot. I, I can't write straight. So I, I, I use that. Uh, as one of the ingredients and again in time travel it's not really used that much and I think that's what what set it apart so if you look at my ingredients I had the 80s which were hugely popular and I humor which was a little bit different and because it was so geared towards a British reader I knew that that they were likely because it was written for somebody for a guy in their 40s who lives in you know Guildford to love it that was the point so when other people who live of that age in you know the UK pick it up hopefully you would think that they were going to think they were going to feel the same way and they they did somebody in New York picks it up hasn't got a clue and I have kept that going throughout all the other books they are for British readers they're not for yeah I do have you know I think it's probably less than one percent of my readership is outside the UK that's the sacrifice that you, you make not everyone loves peanut butter Oh, what, what? <laughs> I'm really, really hungry. <laughs> Tell us about your new book, Kenneth. Um, okay, this was, I, I now know how to write a book. <laughs> Our famous last yeah. word. So I've, I've had a few full start. This has proved a tough one. Um, the book prior, Tuned Out, which came out in May, has, has blown my expectations out of the water. I mean, that one has done incredibly well. Uh, but it was it was a tough book. It was another time travel book, but uh, which uh, there, I, this was set in the sixties. So uh, clearly, I wasn't around. I know I probably looked like I was, but it was a there was a lot of research. It was painstaking. So I come off the back of that one, and and I, I was going to dig straight into the new one, Kenneth. But I, I hit this sort of wall where, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, where you just I, I couldn't get it going. It was like a lawnmower in spring. You know, you pull it out of the garage or the shed, and you're pulling the I, this is how mechanical I am. You pull the thingamajig <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't start and it coughs and sputters. And that was how I was. So Kenneth is now on track, but it took me probably four to six weeks to, to crank it over and get, and get going again. And I think every time you write another book, it, the, you've, the bar gets higher and higher and you don't want to disappoint the, the growing readership and you want to improve what was just a botched hobby at the beginning now there are enough people reading that i have to take this serious to have a responsibility people are, pay, are paying good money for for the book so you think I, I need to be putting some effort i can't turn around a book in nine weeks now i mean i wish i could um i might do that i might give that a go but i uh, it would be trash so what i've learned is Firstly, to know, and one thing I actually I did do, and I don't know how prevalent this is, but I used to do it all the time, is understanding who my audience are. So I polled them two, three times. Probably every six months, I do a reader survey. So I can understand the demographic. I need to know what they're, you know, if I'm writing primarily for men or women, whether you know, their average age, education, leaning as far as the... Um, uh, Something that has leaked into our industry is, is politics. And um, I think you've got to be so careful with that. I have one of my books, I, I, the, the actual protagonist was a 
Tory MP. Really hard not to talk about politics in that. Um, that was something as I set as a challenge. I thought, you know, if this guy can come out the back of this story, people were actually rooting for him. I'd have done all right. Um, and hopefully that happened. But the whole politics thing is, I've tried to avoid doing all that. We, we made one comment about Donald Trump in our book and it's it got us a one-star review in the States and it's the most helpful review. It's the review oh, wow. that comes top. Yeah, everyone else loves it, but they... They forget the fact we made a joke about Hillary Clinton earlier in the book, but they focused on that. So, yeah, it is a minefield. Yeah, I, I, I deliberately stay away from, from anything. Like, and again, on Twitter, and, and the, it's, we live in such a, a sensitive... I'm not sure we should probably get onto the subject of... Um, <laughs> let's do religion next. <laughs> yeah, let's. So Kenneth is back up and running now. Um, but the, the, the research that I've had to pour into the previous book, I think it sort of took it out of me a bit. And I'm trying to make the book's better than the one before and and every one that you write that gets a little bit harder and then coming up with the original ideas as well you know i i admire these guys who can you know turn a book around within four six weeks um I, there's a term for this isn't there where they're sort of churning out books at a maniac yeah <laughs> um i can't remember the guys but they're they're, they're prodigious in terms of the, their output and you think wow i mean i i would love to be able to do that but something i guess has got to give I see on a lot of these Facebook author groups where you know, people say, oh, you know, I've just done 6,000 words today. And I think, wow, how helpful is that for people who can't write 6,000 words today because they've got a job or because they just, I can't write 6,000. I mean, I, I have eight hours to sit down and write. I can't write 8,000. I target 1,300 a day. And that, for me, feels about right. Sometimes I hit 2,000. Some days I'll sit down and I struggle to get six, 700 out. Um, but, you know, people do that. Everyone has their own way of doing it. And I think this, if there was any sort of takeaway from this, is that you, there is, genuinely is no right or wrong. I think if anyone is proof of that, it's me, that I did everything wrong. Broke every convention that there, there was. I mean, virtually every way you wouldn't want to write a book, I did that. And yet, I, here I am. If I had, before I'd written that first book, I'd read a few books on it and I'd bothered to learn anything and I'd followed all the courses that book would have been a f it would still be out there I wouldn't be sat here now I'm absolutely right. sure of it I think sometimes you've got to take a little bit of a punt you've got to do things a bit differently a book is a product at the end of the day and it doesn't matter whatever you do if you sell gardening services or you sell cakes if you're doing exactly the same as everyone else is doing why should anyone trust buy your product, your service over the, unfortunately in the book world, there are lots and lots and lots of other options. You've got to find out what that secret ingredient is or the ingredient that makes your book just that little bit different from, from anyone else's. And I think going back to uh, Cueve McDonnell and, and what he did, it, there I think is the evidence. He has done ex pretty much the, the same as I've done we've just chosen to, to take a, a, a well-known cake and smarm it with Marmite or whatever it may be. Um, but that, that seems to be working for us, certainly. That's fantastic. I think we'll end on that point. Um, best of luck with Kenneth. I'm going to give you a copy of our book, which is a yeah. time travel book, which uh, 
Yeah, I, I don't know if it's Marmite, but uh, it's got all sorts of... In, it's got chocolate hobnobs in it, okay? Yeah. And the uh, Colin the Caterpillar cake, you know, so it's full of that as well. So I'm going to give that to you. I'd love to know what you think of it, yeah. Yes, we do, yeah. I make a point of that. Um, I, this is not so much a problem in the UK, but I understand it's m- a lot more of a problem for over in the, the US yes. where they're not so... They can be a bit more touchy about profanity. So I always like to put a good... Yeah, just to set the tone. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and generally things go downhill from that point. Keith, thank you so much My for speaking goodness. to us. Thank you. You know, we've banged on for three years about the, you know, all the secret formulas of how to write a bestseller. <laughs> I've never heard of getting drunk and just sticking it up on Amazon as <laughs> one of the formulas, but unbelievably, Keith made it happen. That's just, doesn't it just blow you away? We've always said this. There's, there are no rules. Well, every now and then you get someone who refuses to play by the rules, and we love that. And every now and then you get someone like Keith who didn't even know what the rules were. You know, he edited it in Word, yeah. knocked up the cover in an hour. He <laughs> sent the letters to your agent and say, can you let me know in a couple of weeks? You know, I'm kind of busy. <laughs> so I just and, he, and here's the thing. His book, The 86 Fix, is a time travel rock and roll novel. That'll never work, will it? You know? <laughs> Based in the 80s, yeah, absolutely. It wouldn't work at all, would it? But uh, it just shows you, doesn't it? So much, so many things that he talked about resonated with me. Um, Do you know, and this is, it's such a truth. It's so, so simple and it's so basic, but it is such a truth. Simply to write more. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can tell that Keith is is a marketeer because he talks about a book as a product. And I know a lot of people that that that's, can sometimes great with people who, you know, see it as the art form and, you know, it, it's, this, it's this work of beauty and it has to be very pure. But um, the idea of writing more gives you more product. I mean, what he's basically saying is it's giving you more opportunities to make your career happen. I mean, it, it ties in with the idea of writing series, which is something that has been a common theme throughout the podcast. But the thing I loved what Keith said and something I that I'd not really heard articulated in this way in the podcast was how do I write the bestseller for a specific audience, right? We often get hung up, don't we, on the idea of a bestseller being that book in the airport, you know, on your way to Spain, um, which is, which is, you know, number one on the best, uh, on the, uh, the, you know, the, the Sunday times or the New York times charts. But it's sometimes it's about finding his audience, and that's what he's yeah, done. Yeah, he said he wrote it for people who would love it, which is blokes in their forties from Guildford. And I thought, well, that's that's you and me, Mister D. I mean, it is you know, actually. Both, yeah, I actually lived really close. Yeah, we, we both, both lived very both close did, to yeah. Guildford, didn't we? Grandma? And he yeah. knew that he would maybe alienate people outside the UK and anyone under forty, you know. But uh, I think it's that thing of knowing who. And it's interesting; he doesn't do much. Facebook advertising or Amazon advertising. He's got a great website. I mean, you go on there, it says Keith A. Pearson, bloke writing books. And it's his website is very funny and it sets the tone. And you think, okay, this is the guy who's writing those books. If you like that guy, you're going to love the books. And I think in terms of having a brand, in terms of being the Victoria sponge with peanut butter in it, he's done that. Some people go, oh, yeah. I don't know, that looks a bit flippant. I, I don't, it's not serious. That's not my kind of book. You know, that's fine. Move on. But someone will come along who will go, oh, brilliant. He's funny. He's written about rock and roll is blokey my kind of stuff so that's that's fascinating yeah. to me and and you know he's done really yeah. well out of it and uh 
each book just gets you know bigger and better yeah and and another thing he said was you know if you if you try to write for everyone you're writing for no one mm. and that's a really important adage that we need on a t-shirt because um you know i hear this more and more and more in in every different walk of life but particularly online in in internet marketing and businesses it, they always talk about niche or niche if you're from our friends in north america um is the new big it's the new big it's like even small is the new big if you can get your head around that that oxymoron it is utterly mind-blowing that when we try to go large and do everything for everyone we fall flat on our faces so if you're and i know everyone struggles with you know trying to work out who their market is and and other people are writing to try and get that that enormous bestseller you can still get bestsellers by focusing inward and so i encourage everyone listening to this um that this resonates with is to kind of like take a step back today and before you put your pen to paper or your fingers to keys have a think about that have a think about who you know who who are you going to filter out because when you filter out like google you get results when you filter down and you focus your search on something very specific you get results you find what you're looking mm, for absolutely here's a little stop press uh, i follow keith on on facebook and he's just announced on facebook today that he sold his marketing business he's now a full-time author so you know in the time in the wow. time since the podcast started he sold 100,000 copies and he's now a full-time author so it it can That's happen guys incredible. it can happen it's just amazing um Wow. It's interesting because uh, his title as well, The 80, 86 Fix. Now, listen, if you listen to this for the first time and you're a fan of Keith, we wrote a novel, rock and roll novel with time travel called Back to Reality. He wrote a rock and roll time travel novel called The 86 Fix. And he's got that 80s thing in there, hasn't he? And we were sort of yes. talking, you know, what if we'd called our book Back to the 90s? Would that have appealed to that? That, that niche that you were talking about, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's something which struck me actually, because, um, I was looking at Keith's book on Amazon and he's got something like 926 reviews of his book. And that's amazing. Mm. I mean, anyone, anyone who's ever tried to get reviews on Amazon knows that's incredible. And do you know, I've, I've been playing with this idea of my head a lot, not just around the, the title of our book, but all book titles and also, you know, business ideas, domain names, you know, you, you think of every, everything. But in England, we've got this advert by Ron yes. Seal, right? <laughs> right? If anyone who doesn't know what Ron Seal is, Ron Seal is some kind of like um, fence. It's a varnish. What it's like call it? Chris it's varnish. It's a varnish. And you've got a very, a, varnish, a very, okay. a very aggressive man on the advert who holds the tin up and says, yeah. does exactly what it says on the tin. It's like, all right, mate, I only want to buy yeah. some varnish. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I always think of that Ron Seal advert as, as, you know, if if your book is going to do exactly what it says on the tin, then should you go for a title that says what it is so that people don't have to guess it? We use that phrase all the time at Orion. Really? All the time. My old manager, Joe Carpenter, we would, you know, we'd be looking at covers and titles and she'd go, that's a Ron Seal book. Ah. And you go, yeah, it is, isn't it? You know, that's a Ron Seal. <laughs> we use that all the time. And it's interesting, something I wanted to bring up because I've noticed a trend with mm. Netflix titles. You know, Netflix original shows where they come yeah. up with the shows, okay? Have a listen to some of these and see if you notice a trend, okay? Okay, go on. The Perfect Date, Murder Mystery, Love, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, Money Heist, <laughs> The Crown, The Haunting, Evil Genius, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Is Sex that for real? 
yeah, last although, one. To be fair, that was an actual. That's the documentary about Ted Bundy, and that was an actual quote about Ted Bundy from the judge who sent him down. But that's still a gift, okay? That's right. The, wow. Sex education. I am mother. Tall girl. The young pope. <laughs> the politician. I mean, even Stranger Things is on the nose. I mean, right, The Haunting, yeah. okay, that was based on a book. But again, that's another another, another on the nose time. I mean, how long is it before we get bank robbers steal money or <laughs> or spaceships go whoosh, crash, bang in space, <laughs> which I would totally watch, by the way. I would. Yeah. So that could be like, you know, episodes one to nine. That would work really well. But I think Netflix knows, and Amazon is a bit, is less like this, but I think Amazon Prime are doing similar things as well. I think they know that when you that Netflix screen comes up and you're scrolling through that endless choice and you go, oh, money heist. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> right. <laughs> or comedians in cars getting coffee. Hmm. <laughs> you know? But do you remember in episode one, we were talking about the, the girl, you yeah. know, the girl phenomenon in books, like the girl on the train. Mm. I do, I do wonder, I do wonder, I, do you know what I would love to do, Mark, as an experiment? And that's what we're all about, but you're going to absolutely kill me, even just for saying this, oh, even I thinking know, about I know this, what's saying on air. Know you know what I'm going to say, and, yeah. and we have to have this discussion live on air, I think, because it'd just be more interesting. But I would love to repurpose, retitle our book just for one week. If we, if we lived in a parallel universe like our, like our protagonist Joe does, right? Imagine if we could retitle our book just for one week as, a, as an A-B test, right? Back to the 90s and stick it out with the same cover and just just do what Keith did. Just leave it up there. And if we if we sold more books in that one week than we've sold in the last two years, I think there'd be a case for us to say we leave that title. But what would that I mean, where does your head go when I even even express that idea? (laughs) Um, As long as you do all the work, I'm fine with that. (laughs) I know that's the problem, isn't it? The problem is the amount of work to actually retitle a book is ridiculous. Well, you know what it was like just changing the cover art. You forget you've got this trail of stuff behind you online, this whole trail of websites and things that you've tweeted and SEO and all kinds of stuff. And you've got to go and find it and change it on every page and do this and blah, blah, blah. So, um, I think it's a great idea, but I don't fancy doing the work. <laughs> I know. I think. I think one of the one of the crucial things here, when when we first started our band up, we called ourselves the Urban Myth Club, and after about three months, I thought, why the blooming hell did I put the at the front? I said, the mm. Urban Myth Club. What is that? So I dropped it, and then we started putting all of our stuff on as just Urban Myth Club. Oh. My goodness, we've got double entries in every single like discogs and like your biographies and, and, and they're, they're, it's just a mess. It's a mess. Like after 10 years now, there are still the Urban Myth Clubs and, and it split our ratings on Amazon because at first we were the Urban Myth Club and we had to write to them and say, please, can you merge the names of the same blooming album? Yeah, and it just yeah. went on and on and on. So I think testing a title before you make the decision to go mm. with it. Um, but actually, I remember going back. We had a real long. Um, oh yeah, yeah. We, we didn't just we, we didn't just pick there, one out of the hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, isn't it beauty of hindsight, right? <laughs> I mean, if we could be like Joe, we could go back to the 2016s, even. <laughs> um, and then because I, oh, I've got this horrible feeling in my gut right now, Mark, that if we changed it to the 90s, back to the 90s. So maybe we should put it out for public vote and then ask one of our listeners to do the work for us. Maybe, that, maybe that's a good. <laughs> Maybe if there's an overwhelming sense, but I mean, okay. Question. Could we put the book up 
again as a separate book? Or would that mess things up? Does Amazon say, hey, not, a minute, this is the yeah, same you're, you're, book with two different yeah, titles? Yeah, no, you're not allowed to do that. It's the same content. They have, they have bots that look for uh, similar phrases. So to, first of all, to sort of stop piracy, plus we'd be yeah. putting it through the same account. I mean, to be fair, all it means is changing the title and changing the cover art. And mm. But there's just a million places where there's the title and the cover art. It can be done. But I'm I've I'm in rewrites for a, my novel at the moment, and then yeah. I got a TV thing after that, and then I've got uh, I know I'm getting notes on another script in a few. Days. I ain't got the time. I think I think we have to write this one off to experience. It's the um, bestseller experience rather than just bestseller experiment. <laughs> but I, I would say this is why we do this. If you're listening to this and you're thinking of titles, why not test it out? Why not go and do what we're probably going to call the Ron Seal or now the Netflix approach, which is. Um, call your book what it is put it up and see and see how it goes or here's another idea that might work is instead of going wide and putting on everything to begin with try it on one of the smaller sites you know maybe not amazon but put it on another book site like go with kobo or something like that and call it something and then if you don't get the traction you can try changing the name when you you know it's almost like doing a a beta or beta version of the book that you put out there first, test it in, in live, in a live situation and then go with it. But, oh, we, we haven't really done a proper deep dive on titles yet, have we? And I think that, that we're, we're starting one now. So if you're interested in that, let us know. And um, we will probably put together an episode around that. Cause I think it's, I mean, it's huge, isn't it? It's uh, it is yeah. the uh, people do judge a book by cover, regardless of what the old adage says. Yeah, no, absolutely, no question. One other thing that Keith mentioned, which I love, and this is one of my mantras, actually. He says, "Do the opposite." Yeah, do yeah. the opposite. Look at what everyone else is doing, and instead of following the herd, and you know, I've said this before, but if you follow the herd, you only end up stepping in poo, right? <laughs> if if you if you don't follow the herd, if you if you follow the one percent, you end up being in a place which is a lot less competition. And this is yeah. my adage is that, you know, if you, if you're, if you're following everyone else, you're competing with 99% of everyone in the market. Whereas if you could do in the opposite, you're just competing with the 1%. Mm. And that is much easier. Ironically, again, it's an oxymoron. It's, you have to be smart, but it's much easier than competing with everyone else. So I'd like bestseller experiments as we all are to, to have that as an adage, like look at what everyone else is doing and do the opposite. Hmm. No, I agree. It's um, it's paid off for a lot of people in the past as well. So it's, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's that thing of, I mean, he spoke about. I, I don't write to market. He writes what he wants to write. He knows there's a market out there for his kind of. I mean, it's interesting the American thing because we are certainly Brits. We're desperate to sell to America. Three hundred and sixty, three hundred and seventy million people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the, and he says he does sell a few. I mean, there's there is always. A niche of Americans who love British comedy. I mean, that's that's why I'm. And, well, it's not really. An, it's not even a niche. I mean, over here, you mentioned Monty Python, and then yeah, everyone's yeah. like, "Oh my god!" You know, it's it's a huge yeah. part of of their culture. But you're right. It's. I think you get a knock on effect if you get success in one country. If you focus in or one audience, you're always going to get spill over into because because the book's coming up on amazon i mean it's the old algorithm again isn't it mm, yeah um so it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that regard one other thing that he said which i know is a lot of authors don't do because it's one of those extra kind of you know things which is a lot of hassle to do but a reader survey i've heard mark dawson talk about this um it's something that we're going to do actually for podcasts we're going to do a listener survey we want to learn about who you are and what you'd like us to cover on the show um because then you're actually when when we go back to 
you know, creating a product. Every single com company who's worth their salts in the business world yeah. does market research before mm. they put out a chocolate bar, um, before they release a new car, they test drive. I mean, so why why is it that authors are so, maybe not reluctant, but why do so, so few authors actually do this? Yeah, and publishers as well. I mean, again, going right back to our first episode with Vix Tranter. Vix was part of the Consumer Insight team at Hachette, uh, which was very interesting, exciting, but Hachette have basically pulled the plug on that. They no longer do it. It's, it's mm. weird that, you know, they- It's um, the extra cost, isn't it? And I guarantee Netflix are doing those things with their titles because they know more about their customers than anyone else, as do I mean, Amazon has got data on all of us, says that, that old joke about the woman who gets better suggestions for her birthday from Amazon emails than she does from her husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. It's very true, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a very important one. I mean, Netflix can can test these things because they've got their own platform. They they probably do stick out a show a bit early in certain regions of the world with a different title or different titles, and they they look at the statistics. Why is it as authors with so many decisions we've got to second guess anyway? Why is it that we try second guessing everything else? I mean, but here's the challenge: that this again, this kind of this juxtaposition of a reader's survey. When you're selling books on Amazon, how do you even get to your readers? Because you don't even know who they are. They're, they're leaving a review. And so this is, again, goes back to this thing we've been banging on about for, for since I was a lad, we've been talking about this on the podcast, that you've got to start a mailing list. And you've also got to, within your book, you've got to put a lead magnet, in quotes, that's what they like to call it in internet marketing, a lead magnet, which gets that email address. You want to know every single person that reads your book. You want to have contact with them because that's the only way you can actually do a survey. Yeah, I'm due, I'm due to do another one actually because um, I did a survey of my mailing list and they were sort of 50-50 readers and writers. I thought, okay, that's great. I've recently done uh, a couple of um, newsletter promotions with Story Origins. So I've now got twice as many newsletter people than I did before. So I think in the next week or so, I'll, I'll ask the same question again and just, you know, see who, what the split is. And I think I'm probably going to have, I'm assuming I'm going to have more readers than writers, but we'll see. We'll see what, how it comes yeah. out. But you see, once you start doing that, Mark, once you start actually talking to your audience you can do something called segmentation which mm. is like this is kind of like yoda level stuff now but yeah. you know that's where we've all got to get to it's the yodas of this world who are the one percenters and what it's segmentation is is that you can now split your list between writers and yeah. readers which yeah. means that you can actually send relevant you know, newsletter copy. And yeah, it's a pain because it means, oh crap, I've got to write two versions of the same thing. But if it's all about getting results, that extra, it's the extra mile. It's the extra bit of time of writing. And it might just be the intro. You know, you might still have the same rest of it, but by segmenting your list, you can start to um, treat people as individuals. I think the, the interesting thing is with a mailing list, we all build a mailing list. And then if people are actually using it, which most people don't, you know, most people build a mailing list and never do anything with it. Yes, I know I'm talking to you, whoever you are out there, because I'm the same, we're all the same. But you know, the, the, the most important thing is that once you have a mailing list, don't just treat them as the mailing list. You know, that's not a personalized, these are human beings with, with wants and needs and, and dreams. 
And if you can start to understand and split them up into kind of groupings, you're going to get much, much better results by sending them information which is relevant to them. Because we all know as recipients of many, many newsletters and mailing lists, you know, how most of them are completely irrelevant to us because they're not treating us as individuals. And there is technology and software out there. We won't go into detail now, but there is technology and software out there which does a lot of this segmentation stuff for you. So Mm. it is a brave new world. It is a lot of extra work. And people are probably groaning, thinking, yeah, Mark, when am I going to actually write my book? But, you know, it's one of those things that once you've learned how to do it once, it's a rinse and repeat. But the challenge is most people never get to that stage where they can start rinsing and repeating it. But I promise you, the Mark Dawson's of this world who are selling 2 million copies, the the Keith's of this world that are selling over 100,000, the Shannon Mayers, I know for certain, who are selling three and a half, they're all doing it. Now, what does that tell you? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Excellent stuff. Well, that was a fantastic interview. I really enjoyed listening to uh, Keith and I hope you did too. I think there's a lot of things that we can learn uh, in this brave new world and and showing you that there is no rules. There's no rules. Let's talk a bit about social media though, Mark, because again, um, lots going on this week, right? Really good stuff. Uh, We had a public declaration alert from S.E. Moorhead, uh, who again is a Patreon supporter. Uh, She says, it is 20 weeks until my debut Witness X is out. I'm going to write a really rough draft of my new book, setting out the storyline and examining the characters within that 20 weeks so I can start my second draft after launch day. I've been using the Pomodoro method and I've written two chapters this week, so I'm going to try and keep that up. Wish me luck. Now, remind us, Mr. D, this sounds like the sort of woo-woo you love, uh, Pomodoro method. Tell us about that. Woo-woo. <laughs> it's called time management, mate. Yeah, it's... it's, it's <laughs> Don't chuck everything into woo just because it has a weird Italian Sound, name. Sounds like a <laughs> yoga position. It is actually. It could well be. No, Pomodoro is Italian for tomato. If you speak Italian, you'll know that. Um, and what it basically is, is you get yourself a a timer, kitchen timer. The classic tomato timer is where the Pomodoro comes from. You could have get yourself an egg timer or even one of those things you, that always falls out of one of those gaming boxes that you never quite use, you know, the <laughs> board game thing. Yeah. And um, the egg timer. And you basically set it for 20 minutes or 25 minutes, typically. That's the slot. And you have it ticking in the background. I've got mine here. See, mine is an egg. It looks more like a, a well, mine looks like an egg more than a tomato. And you turn it on and it starts ticking in the background like this. And there is this thing about the um, anchoring of that sound that says, you must write, you must write, <laughs> keep on writing, keep on. And it's very interesting. It's a lot of psychology that goes behind it. It's very simple. But having that in the background keeps you focused because we all know, I think the number one challenge for all of us today is what I call multiple tabs. <laughs> well, I shut down 20 just before we started recording today, right? So, you know, there are too many distractions. So why is it that we're all struggling to write? It's not because we can't write. It's because we've got 3000 things trying to distract us from writing. Yeah. The Pomodoro technique is a brilliant technique. It's actually used by CEOs and fortune 500 companies. I use it all the time. Love it. Um, again, uh, we're going to go a lot more into time management because you know that's one of the biggest challenges everyone yes. has. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but but there you go. You see another successful author using and yep. uh, playing with these ideas. So well done to S.E. Moorhead for, for for doing that. That's an incredible achievement. I might I might give that a go. Actually, I might get an egg. The only thing with that ticking, being a Pink Floyd fan, all I can hear is ticking away the moments that make up um, a dull day. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. 
Um, we had another public declaration of a slightly different kind from uh, Tom Foote. Uh, Tom says, it's been a weekend of public declarations for my family. So here's one for the BXP team. First drafts of at least two works of fiction by 11.59 on December the 31st. Love like it. That, like that. I've been listening to the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And at least one ready for publication by March the 1st. Why the sense of urgency? Because, well, I'll let my kid tell you. And there's a picture of a young man with a T-shirt that says, I can't keep calm. I'm going to be a big brother to twins. <laughs> that brilliant? Sorry, that was I mine. That was my <laughs> twins. I know. So it's Tom and family. Uh, wow. wow. Got everything crossed for you. Yeah, there, there is a sense of urgency. There's a ticking clock for you. So, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But that's, that's brilliant. And you see, that's where public declarations are even more important because when all these other things, it's too easy in life. It's too easy in life just to say, I'm going to just put it off because, you know, I've got twins on the way. You know, <laughs> not many people can use that excuse, but we use a lot less than that excuse to not write. Um, yeah. So brilliant yeah. that Andy's stuck that public declaration. And I have every, every confidence that Andy's going to absolutely smash it. Smash it, absolutely. And just before we went on there, uh, Andy Cumbo Floyd shared a, a, a note with us on the BXP team. She said, okay, friends, there's a chance if my energy holds up that I will finish my first full-length cosy mystery today. My partner took a couple of days off to help with childcare, so I've had more time to write than usual. And lo and behold, I think I'm coming to the end. Here's to hoping my hands don't give out before my creativity does. In I go. Well, Andy, if you remember, good luck, Andy. Uh, she was one of our one-page punch-ups uh, when Juliet Ewers first came on the show. And Juliet was so impressed that she asked to see the rest of the book. Andy had actually self-published the novella by then. <laughs> so she's fast. She's really, wow. really fast. So I... I think, again, I think we've got another listener and Patreon supporter who's going to absolutely smash it. Now, here's, now here's a unique goal, and this is, this is one I've never come across before, but I've, I've got real envy. Um, Penilla Hughes, Patreon supporter, former guest and best-selling author, uh, she says, sharing this as I was so ridiculously thrilled by it, up there with signing my contracts, seeing my first cover, and sniffing my first paperback. <laughs> because Penilla invented sniffing your paperback. Um, she got a reserved parking spot at a library, and it's an author highlight she didn't even know existed. And it, she's got a little cone, and it says in there, reserved for P. Hughes. So I've never had... Have you ever had a reserved it's like cone? A, it's like one of those orange cones, isn't it? It's the road <laughs> cone. That is an author cone. There was a lot of, uh, when that photo went up on the BXP team, there was a lot of author envy kicking around, <laughs> yeah, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Well, and then it started a trend and, and then we started seeing cones showing up. Yeah, in, Josh in, did it, cool. Josh did it. He, Josh Atkinson said, came home today after, you know, a uh, crap day at work and his wife had put a little cone out for him reserved for <laughs> author J.W. Atkinson. I just think that's lovely. I think it's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) It's just moments like that that bring tears to our eyes and make us feel all warm and lovely inside. And how lovely that Josh's wife did that for him. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, So if you want to join in this team, honestly, it's so much fun. And there's such an incredible group of people as, as you know, prophesized by the, by the members of the team, the BXP team. If you'd like to join the BXP team, it's very simple. You just simply go to bestsellerexperiment.com 
forward slash support and you get access to this private group of best-selling authors and, and bestsellers to be. And also, if you listen to this on Monday when our show comes out tomorrow, and you still have time, folks, tomorrow you can be part of our live audience as we are recording the next live show, the October live show on Tuesday the 8th. That will be starting at 8 p.m. UK time, 12 p.m. PST time. That's West Coast. So if you want to be part of that, sign up today when you listen to this. Get on the Patreon page, sign up, and you'll get access to the team and also a private link to join us as a live studio audience member. What could be better than that, Mr. Stay? Oh, it's going to be so much fun. We're doing, we're celebrating three years of the podcast. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's three years. Three years of the podcast. And we're going to be talking about, because um, our last live show, we started talking about mental health and we barely scratched the surface, but we're such such an amazing reaction to it that we're going to we're going to talk about more issues and the questions and the topics are going to be coming from our patron supporters so it's going to be a really really special show brilliant stuff so please do pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and sign up today with lots of other benefits that you'll get as well and as we mentioned if you'd like to do the listener survey please pop over to our facebook page that will be live when this airs and um and also i'd just like to wish everyone an incredible writing week we're getting into that time of year mark aren't we uh, at least in the western hemisphere where it's getting a bit chilly and hibernation is coming and that's a really good time that's a really good time to get your writing boots on because um i do think that uh this could be a very productive few months for all of our listeners. So, so let us know how you're getting on. Tell us what your challenges are. Tell us what your successes are. Come along to all of our social media pages, especially Facebook, which is Bestseller XP. No, it's Bestseller best Experiment. <laughs> Bestseller Experiment, yeah. Three years. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and Twitter, which is Bestseller XP. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And Pinterest and Instagram, which are Bestseller XP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. Yeah, there you go. See, if, if, if I just say bestseller XP enough, I'll get it right eventually. <laughs> um, and also do join our mailing list. We talked about mailing lists today. Come and join our mailing list. And we have got some big announcements coming up. So you will want to get on the mailing list to hear those first. So you pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com, click on the newsletter tab and pop in your email. Wonderful stuff. Uh, so lovely. Well, I've got I've got rewrites. I've got to hunker down and get on with some rewrites. I've got some wonderful notes back from my agent, Ed, on uh, the Witches of Woodville book. So I've got lots to do there. So I better go. You better head off and get writing, sir. Yeah, yeah. This podcast has just taken up up all your time, isn't it? We've got to got to rock and roll so be like mr stay get writing today oh even rhymes excellent excellent so have a fantastic week everyone and yeah you have a little pomodoro my one's still ticking it sound it does actually surprisingly sound a little bit like a bomb which is one thing i've never actually thought about but um anyway it's all good so folks get your tomatoes out um keep writing and we'll see you next monday take care It's a goodbye from Rock One. (laughs) Goodbye from Rock Two. Get your tomatoes out. Oh my God. (laughs) 